right, Jacob, I have a question for you. Something I'm just kind of curious about. Nothing to do with teaching. Because here's the question. If you didn't have teaching or education, what would you be doing? And no music. You can't say that either. So other than music, (laughs) what else would you be doing? Because I knew it'd be music now that I asked that question. Uh... That's a great one. Um, I don't know. Probably something with writing. So it would be because when I, I don't know, I'm sure, I'm sure some of the more dedicated listeners of the show know that I'm alternatively certified. And that was, that wasn't because, uh, I did something else necessarily. It was because I just wasn't sure if I wanted to teach first. Teaching was always something I kind of knew I wanted to do. And it was something that, uh, I thought would be interesting and fun. And by the time I was thinking about careers and stuff, you know, I had, uh, I had thought about teaching a lot, you know, specifically, I remember starting in kind of senior year and then going from there, uh, just thinking about going into the classroom and whatnot. But, you know, here's the thing. I wanted to be a musician. I was still convinced I was going to be a world famous rock star. In fact, I'm still convinced I'm going to be a world uh, famous rock star one day. It's just, I have a family, so I have to pay the bill somehow, but, um, (laughs) And so I was like, you know what? I want to I want to kind of go and I had this this thing in my head, which is a very common thing for musicians for people who want to do that is you know, you got to have your fallback career, you know? And so teaching was that for me in some ways, right? That was that at least that's how I thought about it, right? Mhm. And so I didn't pursue it in college. Um, I didn't really pursue anything in college. I was just I was kind of going through that process of, you know, I was working and you know, I started working when I was 17 and had been working ever since. And I had my first job was at Walgreens. And then I went to loss prevention after that. And loss prevention actually almost convinced me to go into policing. <laughs> like it, oh, really? It, yeah. Because I, I, I loved it. It was so fun. And I know it's not the same, but it's 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 in the same realm, right? It's it's within the the diagram, so to speak, um, and, and working with police officers and kind of seeing that side of things and, and working with, uh, kind of just the, just law enforcement in a bunch of different capacities. It was really fascinating and super fun. Um, and I, I, I was pretty good at it too. And so, uh, I actually, and it's funny to think about this now because it's, in hindsight it was kind of dumb. But I, I, I even I got to the point where I literally I went to a police station and just straight up asked them like how to join the police force. Like I was I was like really? that I was that close. And um, I don't I don't remember the ultimate decision why I kind of went away from that. I, I think part of it was my wife was genuinely terrified of the idea. Um. But honestly, it was around that time I was starting to wedge myself back into really thinking about education because I had a – after loss prevention, I started working for um, admissions at the college level. And so I was in – uh, I was I was working at Everest College, which is funny, which is not a good school. But they uh, what the thing that it did for me, even I hated that job. That was my least favorite job I ever did. However, it got me into high schools, and so I started going in. And even though part of my job was enrolling them um, into this school that wasn't very good, I I got to see classrooms, and I was in. 
uh, you know, I was interacting with high school kids and talking to them about, you know, what did they want to, what did they want to do? And I was giving them tours. And so that was like my first glimpse. I was like, Oh, I was like, I'm pretty good at communicating to younger people and they're fun. Like I just genuinely liked talking to younger people and I liked working with families and going through that process and kind of demystifying the college process as best I could in that role. And so that kind of spearheaded me going into teaching, but you know, a lot uh, w- uh, during all of that, I, uh, I was writing. So I was writing novel after novel after novel. I remember in my first apartment with, at the time, girlfriend before we were husband and wife, I remember sitting there and we were just talking about what I wanted to do. And I was like, you know, I want to write. And she goes, well, why don't you? And I was like, you know, I never thought about that. So I just started, you know, coming up with ideas and writing and researching how to get published. And I wrote short stories. I remember I finished my first novel, uh, the week my son came home from the hospital after being born. So that was in 2012 was when I finished my first novel. I started teaching in 20. 15, I think. So from 2012 to 2015, I wrote six novels um, in their entirety. Now, they're not very good. Actually, there's one that I genuinely think is pretty solid. I haven't gone back and read it in a long time. It was the last one I finished, and I I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it it was some of my best uh, artistic writing. and whatnot. I actually pitched it to. I pitched three of the novels to agents and publishers, and I had I had a few agents reach out about the last one to get some pages. Uh, they ultimately got rejected uh, by them, um, but it was it was kind of like my first glimmer. So that was that was kind of the trajectory I was trying to go on, and then. While that was happening, I was finishing up my degree in communication. So if if teaching wouldn't have happened and while I was writing novels or short stories or whatever I was trying to get published, I think the natural progression was leading me into marketing or copywriting or something like that. Um, maybe even editing or something like that. I don't I don't like uh, content editing or whatever. I, I couldn't do line editing. I'm just not that I'm just not meticulous enough to do that. Um, but so that era, that area of kind of something with, with writing and using my words to some degree. Now I was marketing, uh, you know, I think that's where a lot of my, that push that I had in communications is I think where some of the podcasting stuff came from and the, the advertising side and and just kind of knowing, or at least being willing to jump into, to kind of. Uh, create communications massively for people and just to see what I could build. So that that's kind of what that, that was. I don't know. I, I, I imagine that's where it would have been if I wouldn't have uh, been about to be laid off from my job. And I called my <laughs> high school teacher and I said, Hey, I'm about to be laid off. Um, I've always kind of, I'm finishing my degree here in a little bit. Uh, what do you, what do you, how do you suggest I start getting involved in schools? I was like, should I start subbing? And she said, well, you know, we need, we need some educational assistance at our middle school. We're interviewing. Why don't you come interview? And I went and interviewed at the middle school 
And not only did they like me, they liked my background. I had an in because the she was the academic coach at the time was my high school teacher. And so they walked me through the process of getting alternatively certified. So I did all of that, graduated, interviewed, got alternatively certified, and then I was hired a week before uh, orientation, all really fast. And then I was a teacher, and then the rest is history. It's very weird. Uh, trajectory of how it all happened. Oh, that's pretty cool. Well, who knew? I just dropped my cup. Sorry, everyone. Uh oh. <laughs> there was nothing in it. Oh, uh, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to drop something that's got, <laughs> make sure you don't have liquid in it. Yeah. Oh, that's a good thing. Well, anyway, well, that's good. Well, welcome everybody to Craft and Draft. And now we know Jacob's other life that he didn't have, <laughs> but can still have. That's right. <laughs> That's the thing about about the um, you know just about living and and enjoying life. You can do just about whatever you want. And the thing about teaching is it does allow you to do probably more things than maybe another profession would because we do have some breaks in there that allow us to to write and to do other things and to pursue them. Well, and I think it's also a profession that uh, you know. Maybe not like within the first year or three, but when you start getting comfortable, I think it really it, you start it lends itself to your strengths a little bit. You start learning how to use what you're you're good at, or even if you're not good at like what your passions are. Because my like I'm not a I'm not an Eng, like I'm I'm an English person because I love writing, but I, I was never really you know I I didn't. I didn't take a lot of the the classical literature classes, um, and so I've read a lot of them, and I've gone through that. But I'm I'm almost like self taught in that way, so I'm not mm-hmm. what you consider, I guess, a typical English teacher. I think I could have easily just fallen in love with social studies because I taught social studies my first year, and I really enjoyed it. I always wanted to be an English teacher, but that only happened because. They needed an English teacher, and I happened to be the one they moved. So there was <laughs> I, I you know, I'm very I just kind of adapt and I just kind of pick uh I, I just kind of pick the whatever strength and uh, that I kind of want to capitalize on because in in when I taught social studies, my love for politics and and government and history all came out. And so that maybe I would have ended up going down that path in terms of helping educators are speaking about it. But, uh, you know, we have teachers who uh, there's a teacher that I work with now who she loves philosophy. So a lot of her, uh, a lot of her lessons have almost like a philosophical bent to them. So she's starting to incorporate a lot more of that. And, you know, I know there's teachers who use music and there's teachers who use games and there's, you know, there's, I think there's, it's just an interesting profession where you can kind of uh, pick from a bunch of different aspects of your life. And, you know, if you're – as long as you're you're being effective, you can – I mean, the sky's the limit. But that's why we're talking about creativity today, everyone, because – I think it's an interesting topic, figuring out how to get people creative, how to encourage creativity. And it's something I think about often because I like to think I'm a very creative person, but I also, I, I, we've talked about it before on the show is I work in spurts and sometimes it's difficult for me to feel creative 
and you just kind of have to trust the process, right? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't always feel the max creativity when I jump on podcasts, but we have schedules to run and we have shows to produce. And so I jump on and I, lo and behold, usually the process works itself out and, and things, uh, progress and I feel the same way with writing and everything else. But how do we do that with kids? How do we get them to be creative? So we're going to talk about that uh, today on this episode. But before we do that, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by all of our Patreon supporters that support us over there at patreon.com slash craft and draft. Just like you can. If you do, they get bonus episodes, bonus videos, trainings, and everything else that we put out there. Two different tiers. We're going to be working on our next uh, gathering soon, Miss Ocho. I know we've kind of teased a little bit. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later in the coming weeks as we start getting some breaks coming up. I think that'd be a perfect time, uh, especially kind of at uh, the end of December-ish, depending on uh, everyone's holiday schedule. But I think we're going to do something great. But they support us over there just like you can. And they are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, and Alyssa, Destiny, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, and Hannah doing amazing stuff, making sure we get the lights on, make sure the podcast keeps going, keeps thriving, and everything else in between. They also get first access to us. They get to DM us, ask us questions, and basically have more access to uh, commune with like-minded human beings. We're over there growing. So join us over there. We'd love to have you. Once we hit 20 patrons, we're going to open up a monthly Zoom where we all can just come together. Nothing's recorded, but just come together, talk about whatever is bothering us, inspiring us, whatever challenge we have. I think it'd be really kind of cool to get that going. So let's hit 20. If you want to join us now is a perfect time to do so. But ladies and gentlemen, let's go jump into the podcast. Alrighty, creativity. Ochoa, I feel like you have some thoughts about this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a this is a part of a, a thesis that you had. Is that correct? Well, I mean, my master's is in gifted and talented education. So uh we had I've had coursework and yes, I've had to do a, a my actual thesis was curriculum writing but but in that curriculum we had to show how how we would implement creativity i know how to test for creativity etc 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 so creativity was a a big part of uh what we had to do how how does one test for creativity what is what does that even look like because i know these tests exist but i've never i've never given them uh, i've never i've never really seen one what does that look like i'm sure other people haven't haven't had access to that well if i told you i would have to no i'm kidding it's the great <laughs> secrets of the gt <laughs> the training great secrets no i mean um there's um yeah, the tests, they, they have them do different types of things. A lot of it has to deal with drawing or creating things, uh, but mainly drawing. So it's really kind of interesting. They'll put like a piece of uh, like a line out there, and then you have to create as many different things with those different lines as you can. That would be one aspect of it. And so the whole idea is they put something out there that most people – uh, might make something similar, but they grade you on how well yours is totally different from anybody else's. And so, uh, so one is that one's like 
can you come up with uh, original ideas? And then there's another one with as many as you can come up with. They have all these different lines, parallel lines, any kind of lines. Anyway, and so they come up with all these lines, and then you have to figure out a way to connect all of them and do different things that nobody else would do. But you have to, but they give you an impossible amount to cover in a short amount of time. So that checks your fluency. And then there's some others that check your um what is it? I can't remember now all of a sudden. But anyway, they, they, they have like three areas that they test. Uh, and, you know, one is coming up with the ideas. One is uh, fluency. And one is in originality, I think. That's how it works. It's been a long time since I've done it, actually. Because I did all that training in 2007. So, but anyway, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. You know, I... Creativity is... Uh, I think there's a lot of myths around it, right? It's almost like the myth of the the struggling writer and you know, when I th- I think people are usually at their best when they when they feel creative when you know, especially kids because kids are just naturally creative in a lot of ways. You know, you put a twice some of the you know, there's that quote, um, I forget who said it, but they talked about, you know, you don't you don't want to sit there and try to always entertain the bored kid. Like boredom is good for children because it mm-hmm. it encourages play, it encourages investigation, it encourages problem solving, encourages all of that. You know, and my my wife yeah. is she's so sickly with it because she is she's so good at what she does as an elementary teacher and she just talks to kids and you know, let's just really dives into like them just playing and everything and you just like it's great and everything i just i like it at the older levels but for young kids it's just like (laughs) everything is something it feels like it's just like good lord but it's so uh i think it's just it's vital to uh to really i think being engaged with a lot of what we do in education because and it's honestly i i feel like we're we're where workshop can help strive because what we're trying to do in workshop is really open up what education can be, right? We talk all the time mm-hmm. about the the natural restrictions we have, but in a, in a, in a perfect world, um, and not even in a perfect world, in a world where workshop is really thriving, you have kids being creative. You have them, uh, really writing pieces that are different that that might not be considered traditional school pieces or having discussions around literature that might be a little bit more out there or or connected to the the modern world and and really just having kids opening up what class can be what education can be and I think that's really fascinating but you know school can at times really clamp down on creativity and put people in boxes and take really creative kids and almost punish them for their creativity and their out of the box thinking. I think we see this, you know, I know for a fact you and I have seen this in a, in writing just last year, there was a kid in one of your classes who got moved into my honors class, not because he needed to go to my class, but because uh, the schedule fit that way. But He's sitting there, you know, you have him writing, and he's over here trying to write the next Percy Jackson novel, right? Trying to write this right. epic. And we ha- we see a lot of that is you have these kids who really want to go off and write these epic things or write things that are different. And just think about all the classrooms where those kids are told, no, you have to follow the rubric and you have to do 
everything exactly the way we said so. Otherwise, you're going to get a failing grade and then, you know, however... They either conform or suffer the whole time, and it's just oh, yeah. it's sad to think about sometimes mm-hmm. because our educational system without great teachers advocating for kids and advocating for some of this, if you just let the system be the system at times, you know you're it really does a disservice to a lot of kids. Yeah. Well, um, the name, I just made sure I looked it up because I don't want to mess it up. So I didn't say it earlier of that test I was telling you about was the Torrance test of creative thinking. And then, um, so anyway, they also have some verbal aspect to it as well. Cause you have to title every one of these drawings. So the more creative your title is the better. So you get points for all that creativity, but here's the deal. We, we can go ahead and this is where I had an issue. We were given these tests, and, you know, and school districts give these tests, but the problem is they're not sponsoring creativity in the classroom, as you just mentioned. And so if you're going to test for it, then you definitely need to do it or you're just wasting your time and your money when it comes to testing for it. Because, you know, if if you're going to identify students for GT based on their creativity, and then you squelch them and don't let them be creative, then you're not allowing them. Because some of them, I've had a few students that were tested, and they actually made it on their creativity score. But then they get put in an AP test class, you know, like where they actually, all they have to do is do the AP, you know, and nothing wrong with AP. It's good. It's high and rigorous, but it doesn't sponsor the creativity that these children are gifted at. Does that make sense? And so, like, they're limited to what they can write about. It's not like that child, like you're talking about, that was creating the epic um, story. I have one right now that's creating a story. And the other day, we were having to turn in some stuff, and he goes, Miss Ochoa, this is what I wrote in your class, but this is what I've been doing at home. Can I turn it in? And so I looked at it and I said, well, you sure can. So I let him turn that in. But he also showed me that he had written for me. And I think that's, you know, I was listening to your um, Linda Reef uh, podcast. And one of the things she says is if they give a good effort, you know, a good honest effort on the work that they wanted to do, then she allows them to work on something else. And so that's a way to sponsor, you know, creativity because there's sometimes we are, uh, restricted by what we have to teach due to our curriculum in our schools, as I just mentioned earlier, with AP and things like that. But if they, but according to her, if they gave a good faith effort and can demonstrate the work that they did do, but this is what I'm really interested in, and so I'd rather spend most of my time here, you know. And you, uh, you know, look at it, and it's like, I mean, it was a lot of writing, and then you could tell that they had worked really hard on it. And I said, just show me where you started with this and where you ended up, because I wanted you to, you know, I wanted to see the progress or the process in which you went about writing this piece. And so he was able to prove where he had actually hand wrote some of it, and he was able to turn all of that in. Plus, he turned in what he started. So anyway, it was kind of cool, but he got to turn in. He was all excited, and now he's like writing more and more because now you know I gave him that opportunity. So I, I think it's kind of cool. So what w- what would you say is the the steps that we can take to kind of encourage creativity? How how what like what is a, a proper way to even think about this in a classroom? Because I feel like 
that's not even the question we ask during lesson planning is, you know, we don't go, how can this encourage a kid to be creative? We go, you know, what we're always looking at the assignment. We're looking at trying to get them to a certain place. But if, if we could shift into an idea of creativity is the end goal and then using that creativity to kind of jumpstart to get to the next end goal, um, I think that'd be really interesting, but how would we even go about that? What is, you know, from your, your experience, uh, how, how do you suggest we think about that? Well, first of all, we need to come to with the understanding that creativity can be taught. A lot of people have this feeling that you can't teach creativity, but you can, you actually can. But there are people who are just gifted with it that they just, for some reason, their brain thinks in a way that makes them see things differently than everybody else, you know, and so they can actually create things. I would say uh, Da Vinci might have been one of those, you know what I mean, where it's just like, they're just always thinking, always creating, you know, those are those inventor minds, but it can be taught. And so what you would want to do next is, is see what strategies allow you to have the students, you know, think of it, things in a different way. And so one of the things about creativity is this idea. And again, we, we mentioned it, we mentioned it over and over, and that's that fear of the blank page in writing. Correct. And so, that's called not, I mean, you and I both have talked about they need volumes and volumes of writing, right? And so the same thing with creativity. You just can't say, okay, be creative. You know, you have to give them a way to get into it. And once they get into it, then they can start doing it. And so you give them like little practice things like, like, well, let's take brainstorming. I like brainstorming. So everybody brainstorms. We're all good. And then the next thing you want them to do is push past the pause, push past the pause. And what that means is, you know, where you're busy, you're brainstorming and then everybody stops because there's no more ideas. And then you encourage the class. Okay, let's push past the pause. Is there anything that nobody else has thought of yet? Anything's welcome. Then all of a sudden they start, you know, you, you might could even put some questions out there. Uh, is there any way that this topic or whatever can change over time? Is there anything that, you know, is there an origin in our stuff? Is there something, you know, so you can like put some questions out there for them and then have them move again and start brainstorming. And that takes some practice, but that's one area. Uh, you can have them take a topic and look at it from all different perspectives. Um, and that's, uh, you know, divergent thinking. And that's where you think about it from ways that nobody else would ever think of. Uh, some strategies that help you do that. One is called Scamper. Um, you can you can Google that. I don't know if I could remember the, all of the acronyms. But, um, but when you're looking at that, you're comparing it to something else. Uh, you're minimizing it. That's what the M is. Or maximizing it, for example. Uh, you're looking at the P would be like purpose. Um, and you know, so there's different ways that you can look at something, but you take that one object and you look at all different ways. So now let's just take writing for instance. All right. So you, you kind of do these little practice strategies that I just talked about. Just, just take these two alone. Now you go with the writing, you have a brainstorm over their different topics. Okay. Now I want you to push past the pause. So you've already thought about these things. Now let's see what else you can think of that you haven't thought of in, in 
and everything is accepted. And so when you start doing that, you get them to think about something. And then another question always, try to think of something no one else will think about. And so you just kind of pause, you know, get these questions and then you kind of challenge each other. And then you say, okay, so now let's share our list. Did anybody have anything that nobody else has on that list? You know, and so then that's what you're challenging them to do. So that helps with creativity because you're getting all these ideas down. And then now they can pick one of those pieces and start writing about it. And then when they, you know, so those are some things that you can do or looking at that top, once they pick that topic, okay, now let's scamper that topic. Now you've got it picked. Let's scamper it. What what are all the different things that you can do with that topic? And now pick one of those and write about it. So you can do all kinds of stuff like that with the writing. Yeah, I love the idea of just teaching how to connect ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And that, and that's really like, I mean, you look at, you know, last episode was all about the standard, you know, the, the synthesizing uh, to create new meaning is one of my favorite standards because... It's it's that process of just taking multiple things and going, you know, what can you do with this? You know, it was uh, – it's one of the reasons why – to use a, a music reference, it's one of the reasons I love um, listening to different covers, right, of, of bands just kind of doing their own versions of stuff because it's just an interesting concept to take something that's already made and go, you know, what else can you do with this? You know, Bob Dylan was very complimentary of uh, the Jimi Hendrix cover of All Along the Watchtower. He talked about how that, you know, Hendrix just heard things in that song that Dylan himself didn't, you know, hear when he, when he wrote it. Uh, and you can, you can hear it too, because the, you know, the original version of all along the watch. It's one of my favorite songs, really both lyrically and musically, but it, uh, it's, it's deceptively simple as the original one is. And then Hendrix just did so much and it became this classic hit. I mean, think about all the, the Vietnam movies you've seen where that, you know, Mm -hmm. all along the watchtower kicks in, you know, that it's Mm -hmm. in, it's in so many, it's literally an era on its own. And it was, but you never hear the original, right? Like you have to kind of go out and, and it's, that's a really interesting occurrence. And I think that is, on in a, in a smaller scale, but really not in the classroom, what we're doing when you're handing students great mini lessons or passages or quotes or videos or novels, you're trying to build that, that not only desire to really understand and connect, but to go, what can we do with this now that this is in your brain? And it could be taking a line like Linda Reef often encourages to do, or it could be taking a concept and doing your own twist and seeing what happens. You know, of course, you know, you're working with kids, right? A lot of our audience are elementary uh, teachers. And so some of it might be, some of it might lack sophistication, so to speak, but it's the, the, the cognitive lifting that's happening there, right? The, the amount of work that it, it's taking to get kids to really draw these connections, that stuff builds over time. And starting in elementary school, by the time they get to middle school, it's going to keep going. And then by the time they get to high school, they have so many ways of interacting with something. I have another example that I, I just thought of, which is, and this is probably why um, I wanted to talk about this today too, because it's been, it's been on my mind for multiple reasons, but 
we did this really cool thing at our school where our feeder pattern schools, they had these, the kids at the middle school and elementary school uh, draw pictures of monsters, right, for Halloween. So they had to draw, you know, creepy landscapes or monsters or something like that. Then the high school students took those and made their own renditions of them. And wow. and so in the art show, you're walking around and you see, you know, a like a fourth grade drawing of a monster. Then you see like a senior high school student that that did this really immaculate painting or drawing or animation of something and you're just like holy moly cuz some of them took it literally like some of the high school kids but some of them like riffed on it and made their own like they tweaked it but you can see the elements in there but that's what this is what uh Steal like an artist talks about one of my favorite books of all time where it's the it's the idea that everyone steals from each other it's about making something your own and kind of evolving right we have the everything we talk about is built upon everything else that all these other people that we've done but this is also that in that creative landscape. This is why modeling is so important is really, you know, if you're a teacher that's drawing really great connections in front of your kids and going through that process with them and you have a connection with your kids, uh, you have that relationship, they're going to, they're going to model that after you. And I think that's what, um, I had a lot of success with, uh, for the rightfully empowered kids because they were with me for so long and we built really strong relationships that they they naturally kind of took my way of uh, of of taking ideas and manipulating them in certain ways to create certain pieces. So they a lot of their styles in, in a way became an element of me. But then they started as they grew, they started going off into their own ways and dimensions and 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 uh, and their own process to kind of create their own unique stuff. And I think that is. So when I think of creativity, I think of that. I think of the the molding of multiple things together and really encouraging that. And, you know, encouraging a kid to, you know, you, you see these derivative, uh, uh, you know, pieces where kids will write short stories. And, you know, they're basically just, you know, derivatives of whatever movies they've seen or things like that. But that's where it starts. It starts with that really close mimicking, so to speak. And then after, you know, a decade or less or more of doing that, you eventually develop your own style and your own, your own way of doing things. And I think that goes back to this, this process only works if English teachers in schools are encouraging this across the grade levels. Cause this can't just happen in your fourth grade classroom. It has to start, you know, as, as early as it can, but let's say it starts at fourth grade, fifth grade teachers have to keep going, have keep giving kids time to read and write, keep having that time to really express and find out how to synthesize these things all the way up. And then it just keeps building and building and building. Some of the saddest stuff is when, you know, you have a, a great workshop year and you kids are starting to make all of these synthesis and they're, they're really starting to kind of develop a a voice, so to speak. And then the next year, they're right back to worksheets and uh, nothing but multiple choice practice and test, drill and kill. And if a kid doesn't have enough built in, I mean, it, it really sets 
it sets kids back, but I don't know. I mean, I it, honestly, I feel like I, I kind of came up, um, or stumbled upon, a, a weird definition of creativity for myself is creativity to me is almost like a, a, a synthesizing of unique or, or synthesizing of, of ideas, elements, et cetera, et cetera, and, and combining them into something new with your own kind of twist on it. Is there, is there, is there a definition of creativity that you had to operate with in, um, with your, with your studies back in the day or where I got, were there multiple definitions? Well, I think it's, there's multiple definitions of creativity, but, but one of, one of the things is that divergent thinking is what stands out to me. Uh, being able to look at something and think of it in a divergently from everybody else. Um, and so I think that that is it. I think to me, that's, that's where creativity is. I do know that creativity is, um, it can heal the brain. I do know that, um, kids who are traumatized, can sometimes work through their trauma through their creativity if it's allowed. Um, I do know that I've I've actually said I can't remember the person's name all of a sudden, but it was a it was a prof- a doctor, and uh, he studies the traumatic brain. I've mentioned him before. Right now, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head. But I sat through one of two of his sessions, and he actually showed pictures of a, a child's traumatic brain. And then put them in with some creative teaching and teachers and allowed them to be creative. And then that they showed the brain afterwards and it, those empty spots, if you will, were now activated. So, because I think because of the divergent thinking involved with creativity, it causes you to use very, I mean, a a lot of elements of the brain, if you will, a a varied um, you know, going cross cross your brain, you know, back and forth, um, making new connections. And anytime you can make new connections and learn new things, that's that synthesizing you're talking about, uh, then that can't do anything but help that brain become even more, um, you know, solid, I guess, if you will. I don't know the right term there. But I, I just think, I just know that when I apply creativity, and I taught you know, I've I've taught like um, several years when I was at another school, and we just had a GT. I mean, like every child that I had in that class was identified as gifted, and it was a gifted reading class. And um, the challenge to me was to be able to come up with all these different things for them to kind of think differently and think off the cuff and, and accept all of those things. So some of the things that I do to sponsor that is allowing choice. I mean, choice is probably, and I know we've said this over and we've, we beat the drum of choice, but I'm telling you, there is just something about choice that brings creativity into your classroom in a way that, you know, that it, nothing else does. And and because of that, students will go, you know, if they're really in, as you already stated, if they if they're really interested in what they're doing, they're gonna work way harder for you if they're really interested in it. I was talking to uh my son actually last night. We were actually talking about his, you know, he's got a four-year-old, and he's like, 
when you try to get, he's got a lot of energy, this little four-year-old, which most of them do, but uh, they're trying to get him to start learning different things. You know, they're working with him, et cetera. But when it comes to math, he doesn't really want to count on his fingers. He doesn't want to count sticks, if you will, or whatever, dots, whatever, you know, is on that, that card. But if you can, but he likes to um, play games with uh, figurines that he's painted. And then, so what my son is doing is having him count these figurines, you know? So now he's doing all this math. Like if I take these two away, how many do we have? And if I apply these figurines and so, you know, they're doing all kinds of stuff with these little characters that they're creating and my, my son's help creating with them. But this whole idea of their painting and, and all of that, but they're, um, you know, coming up with with different ways to name them and stuff like that. Well, then now they're doing that, and then they're creating these situations where he's got to count. And so it's he's really involved. He says he could spend hours just counting these figurines just because he created the figurine. You know what I mean? So I think creativity is a way to get into um into that standard, as you said earlier, get into that content. If we can figure out what our students enjoy through their choices and then teach what we need to through that. I think we can, I think we can just make a lot of gains that way. I, I don't know. You know, it's one of the, the, the things we should try to avoid as much as possible, I think is getting kids to, to avoid making them feel like they're not creative. Right. And we see it. Oh, that's the that's the big struggle with uh you know when when that teachers when we talk about the invitation to write and getting kids to to create you know the question always comes well what happens with the kid that won't write and i think it's it, it it's the question of finding out why why well why won't they write is it because they've been controlled their their whole lives in their writing that every time they mm-hmm. wrote that they were told why it was wrong or every time they wrote they they were told that it had to fit into a, a very specific box um is it those reasons is it because they've they've never been offered the tools or even shown the tools that that you can do whatever you want with your words. And that doesn't mean without consequence. It just means that you have the, the freedom to really make your mark in certain ways. And, you know, have they even been told that have they been offered to even think that way? And I I think that is, that's like my ultimate goal is, is working within, you know, a, a systematized, systematized system, systematized, you know, uh, organization, uh, job, career, and, and find out ways to, to make it more viable for really, I mean, just the individual and, and creativity and the human spirit. Um, and you know, there's, there's elements of that in tons of classrooms. And I, I think teachers are really great at, at doing that, but it becomes how to do it on a bigger scale. And then you think about, okay, so what about the school? Are there schools that have done it? And I think there has, I think we've seen, you know, I think the Ron Clark Academy is an example of that. They have high rigor and high, uh, focus on, 
on performance, meaning academic performance, but they also are doing incredibly, incredibly uh, creative undertakings all the time at, at the school level, at the student level. And uh, Finland has has shown some success in their way of doing stuff. You know, Montessori schools. I don't know if we have any Montessori teachers on here, but. As far as I'm concerned, they they encourage a lot of creativity and just the way they handle education and student progress and uh, everything like that. In all honesty, I think uh, the arts, the the teachers who teach art and choir and music and theater and all of that stuff, I think they they are some of the the teachers that I think understand this more than than most. Um, which is why we can't punish kids and take them out of music uh, or take them out of art or do any of these things just because they're behind on credits. We got to, we got to be more smart. Uh, We got to be more intelligent about uh, some of our problems there, but I don't know. Well, yeah, because it's, it's that art that, I mean, we already know that there's a connection between music and math. I mean, there's a connection between those things. There's a connection, um, you know, with art and abstract thinking and, and if you will, being flexible in, in the way you think, uh, you know, and it, and you have to plan when you're doing all those things. So you're, you're, when you're teaching those extracurricular activities, you're actually teaching them more than, I mean, it, it they, they should supplement, you know, and I think that's what they're supposed to do. But you're right. I, I think it's it's sad when that's how we punish students. That's the first thing we take away from them a lot of times. Okay, well, I'm sorry, but you have to give up all of the stuff and be in a reading lab because you're not reading well. So let's take away the one thing that's probably going to help you. Because uh, really, when you're when you're doing music in choir or whatever, you're having to read. So why would you want to take them out of that? You know, it's, it's a different type of reading, but it's still reading, is it not? I mean, it's in its measurement and doing, you know, you're having to know, you know, the count, talking about counting. I mean, I don't know another subject that makes you count more <laughs> than, <laughs> than, than music, <laughs> you know? And so I, I don't know. I just, I, that that's a whole nother uh, you know, bag of worms, if you will, uh, can of worms, if you will, that uh, probably don't need to be open tonight. But th- that's one of my hangups, uh, and you brought it up, is that we take away the one thing that the students truly enjoy a lot of times. And then in, 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 in doing that, we don't, we don't honor their creativity. But that's another thing. That's one of the things we have to do in the classroom is we, when we see creativity or the strive for creativity occur, we have to honor that. We have to honor our students, and we need to celebrate what they do try. And and uh, by celebrating that, you can build on it. And that was the other thing I wanted to think about is the reason why creativity can be taught is because with that practice, if you give them lots of practice, then everything builds on that. And so that was one of the things that I you mentioned something earlier that made me think of that. So I wanted to just show that or say that um, – the more we do, the better they get. The better they get, the more we can dive into our content and uh, fine-tune it. But the thing is, their motivation to improve their content will be there because we've allowed them to be creative with it. 
couldn't have found a better capstone to this conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Crafted Draft, talking about creativity. What's your thoughts, musings, concerns? Send them our way. If you're a Patreon supporter, you can DM us always. But if you're not, you can send us through our contact page over there at craftsofjaffworkshop.com, where you can also find every episode under the sun that we've ever done, besides the bonus episodes, which no one hears, except for our Patreon supporters. So if you want more Craft and Draft, go over there. If you like this, leave a review, subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes. Apologies. I've got to say this at the top of the episode. Apologies for the late posting of the last episode. Technical uh-huh. difficulties abound, and a bunch of other things going down all at once led to us missing a Friday and getting it uploaded uh, on a Sunday. Sunday. But regardless, it is live. Um, we'll try to avoid that as much as possible. Thank you for your patience. But come back next week. We will have another fantastic episode for you. And keep your eyes open for our next training. It's coming up soon. I promise we'll have some more details and all of that shortly. But regardless, know that we are here for you. <laughs> <laughs>